Call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome into the Ringer NFL show. This is the Power Rankers episode. It's arguably the best episode on the feed. I might be a little bit biased. It's Austin Gale here with Jason Goff. He's back. Where were you last week? Did you have another sickness? You keep bailing on me, man. Steven Ruiz said you're scared to compete. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Another sickness. Well, I had COVID two weeks ago, three weeks ago. That's why I, had, I wasn't <laughs> in. I didn't want to be on here sneezing and, and you know, having a 102 degree temp on you. And last week was my birthday. So people decided to do stuff early on in the Yes, man. I'm 42 years young. Uh, I love I love the fact that I get a chance to do this with you. And no, uh, come on, man. Scared of competition. Come on. You already know better <laughs> than that. You know, I'm, I'm riding high. I, I got I got a team here that I'm covering that uh, scores 30 points a game and loses all those games. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a fun NFL world that we get to walk into every single week here. I'm glad you brought up the Chicago Bears. I didn't have I'm them not. in the rundown, <laughs> but I, 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 I wrote. You know, I wrote in the the power rankings file. This show is always talking about power rankings. We're talking about team of the week, risers, fallers, all that stuff. It's a, it's a hard file to do given where the Minnesota Vikings are uh, right now and trying to rank them ahead of the Buffalo Bills. Are they better than the Buffalo Bills? Would they win again? Would they be? I don't know. We'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. But where's Jared Allen when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> Justin Fields looking as good as he does. I think he's reaching levels of dynamism that are very similar to Lamar Jackson, what he's able to do running the football and the pressure he's able to put on defenses with design runs and scrambling, all that stuff, and them still losing games is kind of a positive, right? It's going to give them a higher draft pick, and they already have over $112 million in cap space to spend next year. Like, kind of, That's like the optimistic, glass-half-full look at Justin Fields playing well and the Bears losing games. You have a different opinion, though. You want them winning games. You want them you know, you know, uh, coming out of these on top, and, and you don't care about the draft picks and, and where, they, where, they, where they pick ultimately. Well, because I, I do believe in the evaluation being you doing enough to win some of these games, especially as a quarterback, right? And when you're talking about tanking, right, we're talking about Carolina, some of these other squads, they're tanking to try to find their quarterback. You, you don't tank to try yeah, to yeah, get yeah. a wide receiver. You don't tank to try to get an offensive tackle. You don't tank to try to get a guard, all the things that the Bears need. So, so in my evaluation of this team week to week is if the Lions are a team you should beat. You had a 14-point lead. What did you do? 
wrong and what should you not replicate going forward as opposed to, oh, well, they shit the bed and they got a, a higher draft pick now. Like, you, you try to shit the bed so you can get the guy that's already here. So that's why the tank win thing to me is kind of, you know, football is a weird thing where culture sometimes matters and, you know, you not ever letting go of the rope just because is is, is a thing. So, and, and I've talked to Dominique Foxworth and some other guys on my pod about it. It's just, I understand when you're trying to get the guy, but when you think you have the guy, go out there and win football games. And when you don't, you should be evaluated the way you should be. Not, not on some, uh, it's just the Lions or you get yourself a higher draft pick. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, those are first round picks, right? But Stephon Diggs is a fifth round pick. All right, some of these guys mm-hmm. you can find. Developing guys and drafting well to me is better than drafting high. Look at the Browns, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest storyline in Chicago is just why did it take this long? Why right. did it take this long to start calling more design runs? Was it Fields and him getting his feet wet? And you know, a lot of people talk about as you grow in the NFL, the game slows down. Is the game slowing down for him enough to where he is more confident scrambling? He is more decisive running the football? I don't know. I think it's a combination of a lot of things, right? It's experience. It's Eberflus. It's the coaching staff committing to more design runs and and trying to cater an offense that that really fits his skill set. And where you look at the best offenses in the NFL, and we're going to get to this one just upcoming, what the Baltimore Ravens did when they brought in Greg Roman and what Harbaugh did to build around Lamar Jackson, you're starting to see that in Chicago. And for different reasons, for different skill sets, team of the week, you're seeing it in Miami with what Mike McDaniel is doing with an RPO-heavy, quick-passing game in my, with the Dolphins and Tua Tungavailoa. He has created, objectively, a offense that is maximizing already what is sky-high potential. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, in my opinion, are the best receiver doing in the NFL. If, mm-hmm. if you could take, if you, if you, if you were going to take any two receivers from one team to start an NFL team and you aren't taking Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, I think you're wrong. Honestly, I think you're wrong. I think Tyreek Hill is the best receiver in the game. And when you compliment him with a Jalen Waddle, which is like a Tyreek Hill 0.75 or 0.7, right, right. whatever it may be, that is different. And Ben Solak has a great stat talking about how Tua Tungabailoa's average time to throw is one of the fastest in the NFL, but his average depth of target on quick throws is so much longer because these guys are getting down the field faster. Because you have a Tyree Kill, a Jalen Waddle, and even Trent Sherfield, their wide receiver three, is no slouch in the speed department, right? That's another guy that's running 4-4. So you have Tyree Kill, you have Jalen Waddle, and you have a quarterback that at Alabama, before the hip injury, was an all-star, an all-pro at running the RPO offense and getting the ball out quickly, getting it out on time, and being accurate. Everyone made fun of Mike McDaniel when he said, Tua throws the most accurate pass in the league and blah, blah, blah. He was hyping up his quarterback, whatever. But like seeing how much he elevates what is already a very good offense that runs a lot of pre-snap motion, that runs a lot of play action, runs a lot of RPOs, runs a lot of different personnel groupings at the same rate that a McVay or a Shanahan does, seeing Tua operate this offense, you can see that he elevates it further because he gets the ball out quickly, has quick timing, and is making good decisions. I think that the biggest improvement we've seen from Tua Tungvailoa this year, in addition to health, and I think these are correlated, is confidence. When you look at what he did, go to that Trent Sherfield touchdown in the corner of the end zone this past week. You look at when he starts throwing that football, he's covered. Like, Sherfield's covered. And he's like, no, I got it. This, this is my guy. He's I'm putting him exactly where he gets it. And he's trusting him, right? And, like, that confidence, I think, is a direct reflection of, obviously, Tua Tungvailoa. Every single Miami Dolphins fan want every, me to come on here and say he's an MVP candidate. He's the best quarterback in the league. He's better than Justin Herbert. Stop. Be happy that Mike McDaniel and this coaching staff is getting that kind of confidence out of Tua Tungavaloa. Because as long as that's happening with a healthy Hill and a healthy uh, Jalen Waddle and this offense cooking with Mike McDaniel, 
just sweating through every single game, calling all these different personnel groupings, <laughs> making everything look the same but different at the same time. This Miami Dolphins team, I'm ready to say it, and I know our producer, Carlos Chiraboga, is a Dolphins fan. He's not on the call today. This Miami Dolphins team, Jason, is a Super Bowl contender. I'm saying it right now. I'm saying it right now. Is a Super Bowl contender with how, with how talented this offense is. Yeah, I don't think it's a stretch because the NFL is is up for grabs right now, right? If you look at the NFC, you got, what, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, the 49ers, all teams that are kind of struggling and up and down a little bit. You know, not, not to mention that the 49ers are getting it rolling here, but there's a bunch of teams who can get hot late and still be considered a contender. This team has been hot throughout. And, of course, you have the Tua Tungavailoa head injury and the issues with the concussion and the second concussion. But what I am enjoying the most about this Miami offense, and, and shout out to a brother named Mike. You know, Mike McDaniel is out here not only going to uh, win the coach of the year, but he's, you know, I think this is a very interesting year of coaching being turned on its head. Right. Because Mike McDaniel wasn't in line to get a head coaching job. And then all of a sudden the Brian Flores stuff happened. And maybe next year, the year after that, he gets the gig. Right. What he's done, I think, is similar to what Sean McVay did. Right. To, similar to what Kyle yes. Shanahan did. And to me, it's more important what he's doing, the exotic nature of the running game. When Sean McVay had Todd Gurley and, and some of the things that they were pulling off. Hell, when when Jim Harbaugh was in San Francisco and you're like, oh, look at this. Like it's, it seems old school, but all it is is trying to designate where you're going to slide your line, who the middle linebacker is, all these things that you have to designate pre-snap. The motion stuff that we try to look at for man and zone and offenses, I think Mike McDaniel right now is doing that on run plays with Alec Engel. Like Alec Engel being a fullback and then sliding out and playing the H-back position or getting in, yeah. the, in the flat. Like the things and, – and then let's face it. We talk about CMC, right? Christian McCaffrey going to San Francisco. What Jeff Wilson Jr. can be in this offense – and not just out of the backfield, but actually giving him the football, Raheem Mostert. I, I, I marvel at, and obviously Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, and of yeah. course Tua Tagovailoa make this a lot easier for them because there's six and seven man boxes out there. But what he's been able to do in terms of the exotic nature of the run calls, um, it is it has been fascinating to watch. And I think this last week was a picture perfect instance of that. You saw Alec Ingold. <laughs> split out. You saw him in the slot. You saw yeah. him at the H-back position. You saw him at a fullback. And it's all designating where we want to run the ball or if we want to get out of this place. So um, they, they are doing some, some magical things on the offensive side of the football right now, especially in the run game for me. I, I'm so glad you brought up the run game. And now some of this is obviously the Cleveland Browns run defense is awful. Like yeah, I think they're sure. fifth Fifth, fifth worst in yards before first contact per attempt. They're too skinny, right? When you look at that defensive line, it's too thin. They've built this defense in the eye of speed, 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 and that has cost them size. And when you caught, that's why you, you saw some of the traps hitting, and they were trying to be a penetrating defense. And when you're rushing upfield, they run the trap on you, they're going to cut you up all day long. And the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, tip your cap, is doing that really well. And what was a weakness last year in Miami Dolphins offensive line, he is now turning into a strength, running the football. Mm -hmm. And like they haven't been super successful running the football against other teams this season, but still you see that he has that feather in his cap or that tool in his tool belt, right? Like, oh, this, this run defense sucks. I'm going to go ahead and call a great run game here. And then right. you see, obviously, uh, Jeff Wilson, uh, Raheem Mostert, that combination having a lot of success in a similar scheme that he saw, obviously, when they were with Kyle Shanahan. And for me, you look at the the awards right now in odds. Nick Sirianni is the favorite to win coach of the year on FanDuel at plus 120. Then it's Brian Dayball at plus 320. Then it's Kevin O'Connell at plus 360. We don't even get to Mike McDaniel until plus 700. 
Mike McDaniel is undefeated when his starting quarterback finishes the game. Like his start, when Tua Tagovailoa starts and finishes the game, he is undefeated this season. This offense is absolutely electric. When you look at any efficiency metric, whether it's EPA, yards per play, all that stuff, it is reminiscent of MVP seasons, MVP caliber seasons from quarterbacks in previous years. Tua Tagovailoa is a big part of that, but Mike McDaniel is a huge, huge part of that as well. I, I think the Miami Dolphins are maximizing the talent that they have and the talent that they have is very freaking good. That's that perfect, that perfect combination where Miami, again, I think is a Super Bowl contender. I think they can score with the Buffalo Bills. I think they can score with the Kansas City Chiefs. I would not be surprised if they are playing in the AFC Championship against one of those two alien quarterbacks in Josh Allen or um, Patrick Mahomes. I think the other award race I want to update before we get into the biggest mover this week is looking at MVP. Right now, Patrick Mahomes is the favorite plus 120. I think that's accurate. Then it's a three-way tie on FanDuel for MVP. Josh Allen, Tua Tungavailoa, and Jalen Hurts all at plus 500. That is absurd to me because I think the only other... I want, I want your reaction to this take. I think the only other player that should be in the conversation with Patrick Holmes for MVP right now, given how much he's elevating what is objectively a poor supporting cast that has battled injuries all year, is Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson's fifth on this list at plus 1,200. You're telling me there's there's a multiple of 10 in terms of different odds between Mahomes and Lamar Jackson this year? Am I wrong? I know that the Baltimore Ravens don't have as many wins as the Bills or don't have as many wins. Or I think they do. They're 6-3. and three. Like, I don't understand it. I don't understand why the Baltimore Ravens, I, I, I don't understand why Lamar Jackson is not being considered. Maybe he doesn't have the, you know, maybe he doesn't have the box score numbers That's to back it, it up. But man, Lamar Jackson has, is the only reason the Baltimore Ravens could be playing a playoff game this year. If we're talking about value, like the true definition, and we have this conversation across sports every single year about what the MVP really is. Is it the best player or is it the most valuable player? If you take that player off their team, how much of a precipitous drop would they actually take? And, and far and away, it would be Lamar Jackson if that were the case. I mean, we saw the Kansas City Chiefs uh, win games before Patrick Mahomes got there with their culture and their their you know, roster. And, of course, Andy Reid with Alex Smith. Of course, you put in football Jordan and you take it to the next level. You go to Super Bowls, whether you're winning them or not. Uh, when Lamar Jackson's numbers, you know, it's, for me, it's kind of like this. It's, it's pitcher's wins, right? For years, pitcher's wins were a big thing. 20-game 20, 20 winner. This guy's 18-game winner. And then all of a sudden, you're like, hey, wait a minute. What happens when you have an offense on the other side that isn't scoring any runs, but that pitcher is only giving up one or two runs. Then it became fielder independent pitching and ERA and all those numbers started getting thrown out. You know, guy, guys like, uh, you know, who is it? King, uh, King, King Felix, my man from Seattle who won yeah. the, the, the Cy Young with 12 wins. Lamar Jackson's numbers are never going to be 42 touchdowns thrown, six interceptions, and rushing for 10 touchdowns. That's not going to happen. He's always going to be somewhere around that 25 touchdown number, somewhere around there. You want to keep his interceptions low, but his value, if you watch Baltimore Ravens games, it is all about Lamar Jackson. They've had running backs go in and out. They've, they've had wide receivers. They've traded wide receivers. They've developed wide receivers from special teamers. Mark Andrews has been the constant over the last couple of years, but that's what happens when you have a mobile quarterback. Right, you look at Michael Vick and Algie Crumpler. You know, anytime you've got a mobile quarterback, the perimeter guys sometimes are going to struggle. But I, no one can tell me, other than Patrick Mahomes, that Lamar Jackson isn't the second most valuable player. You know, and, and, and hell, you even look at Buffalo. I mean, in Buffalo, they have a terrific team, right? They've got a lot of talent on that roster. How much of a drop do they take if you put in an above replacement player at that quarterback position? I think they take a drop, exactly. but not, but not ex as extreme a drop as the Baltimore Ravens take. So. 
I'm right there with you. And of course, the Jalen Hurts stuff. I mean, it's a quarterback award now, right? <laughs> because if we're looking at it, we should throw we should throw Justin Jefferson there, right? When when, when Jamar Chase yeah. is healthy, you should throw Jamar Chase in there. Stephon Diggs. There's a few linemen out there that you could throw in there. But in the end, it's a quarterback award. So I'm right there with you. It's Patrick Mahomes and it's Lamar Jackson. Then it's everybody else. I'm glad we're agreeing early on the podcast. No, no competition to start, which I love to see. I, the Offensive Player of the Year Award, which has essentially become the best non-quarterback in the NFL, which I think is right by. I mean, it's smart to acknowledge a non-quarterback every season. So giving them Offensive Player of the Year by kind of like de facto, I think makes sense. Right now, it's a two-horse race between Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill, and I'm fine with that. Pick your poison. Justin Jefferson had one of those absurd catches I've ever freaking seen. We're going to talk about the Vikings a little bit later in that game specifically. But man, and Tyreek Hill, this, you talk about, you remove Tua from this offense, it's not going to be as great. You move Tyreek Hill from this offense, it might be a whole different story. They're, they're, the defenses play completely different if Tyreek Hill isn't starting every single week for the Miami Dolphins. He's always there. All right, number two, biggest mover. I had to drop him. I had to. The Las Vegas Raiders are the 31st team and in the bottom of the barrel tier on my list. What do you want me to do? They just lost to an. The guy was on Get Up a week before, a week ago. He got a call from Jim. <laughs> Jeff Saturday got a call from his friend, Jeff Jim Ursay. After 12 a.m. on a Sunday and said, do you want to be the coach of this team? He's like, let me talk to my wife. Somewhere in the middle of the night, this guy agrees to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, flies in there Monday, names a 30-year-old Park Frazier as the offensive play caller on Tuesday, and somehow, on the road, as a four-point dog, makes the decision to swap Sam Elliger for Matt Ryan, and the Indianapolis Colts, not in a fluky way, beat up no, they beat on the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders fall to two and seven and just lost to a coach that was on ESPN a week ago. I'm sorry, but you have to go to the bottom of the barrel here. You have to fall to the depths of the league, and that's not it. In addition to losing, in addition to having a terrible record this year at two and seven, in addition to falling under expectations, now you have a locker room that is lost, in my opinion. Derek Carr cried at his postgame presser. I've been a Raiders fan since I was born. I was season tickets for 10 years, and, and the only jersey I've ever bought as a Raiders fan. This is a fun fact. Only jersey I've ever bought. I've always said I'm never buying a jersey. I'm never buying a jersey until we get a good player. Only jersey I've ever bought was Derek Carr after his mm. 2016 season where he broke his leg, where I thought he was going to be the future of this franchise. Yeah. Watching him for as long as I have, you've never seen a presser like that, where he goes up and he's crying and he's saying the effort is shit. He's saying, the, he said, the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but he says, the stuff that people have to put in their bodies on this team just to sleep at night. That is hinting at the medicine and quote-unquote medicine that these guys are taking to, to cure ailments, to suit up and practice and play in this game. And he is upset about the buy-in. He's upset about the effort. Star receiver, best friend of Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, has the same concerns. He says, I don't care about what McDaniels is saying. This effort is bad. We don't have buy-in. People aren't playing full quarters. What does McDaniels say? I have no issue with the effort. What does Mark D Davis say, the owner of the Raiders? I think McDaniels is doing a fantastic job. Rome wasn't built in a day. Rome was built in 800 years, and it feels like it's going to take 800 years for this Raiders team to ever be good again because you have now misalignment between ownership, Mark Davis, who is notably one of the poorest owners in the NFL. You know what he doesn't want to do? Still paying John Gruden that settlement that he had to pay him after that resignation and all that. He doesn't want to mm -hmm. fire McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, the new GM, and have to pay more money. Yeah, that doesn't count against the cap, but it counts against Mark Davis's pockets. So, of course, Mark Davis is going to say McDaniels is doing a fantastic job. Because firing him not only will cost him a shitload of money, more money he doesn't have, it will also admit that he's doing a bad job of finding the right guy to coach his team. Derek Carr and Devontae Adams feel that the locker room is lost and the effort is gone and the buy-in is gone. McDaniels and Davis, guys who are protecting themselves, self-serving, are saying everything's fine. What's going to happen? My assumption is you're going to lose some good players. You're going to want, Derek Carr is going to want out. Devontae Adams is going to want out. You're not going to re-sign Josh Jacobs. You're going to trade away Darren Waller, whoever it may be. You're going to take out 
you're going to make the scapegoat this roster that is objectively one of the more talented rosters in the NFL, and instead not the scapegoat or, or, or leave there McDaniels and Ziegler to rebuild a team that is already lost. I don't know, man. I don't think the Raiders could be in a much worse spot. Yeah, no, and this is the thing. Mark Davis doesn't have to cover his ass because he's the owner of the team, and they've got a uh, disenfranchised fan base, right? Whether you're in Oakland, Los Angeles, or Las Vegas, True. like there's a satellite fan base. So where's your real ire really coming from? Like you don't have to turn on sports radio every morning and hear it. You don't have to, you know, open a paper and read it with any kind of fury because it's really not centered anywhere. So Mark Davis doesn't have to cover his ass. He he knows what's going on in that locker room. He you know he's one of those guys who's around enough, right? He's not some of the one of these dudes who's got other businesses and other ventures that he's so tapped into that he can't be around his football team. He's around his football team. He knows what's up and he knows exactly what Derek Carr and and Devontae Adams are espousing right now. I, it's funny to me. Sometimes people show you who they are and sometimes you should believe them. Famous Maya Angelou quote. Josh McDaniels has shown you who he's been for years now. You know, the Indianapolis Colts job, first of all, the fact that he did what he did to the Colts and then got beat by the Colts with a guy who was on TV the week before, it's just, it's the schadenfreude that I kind of just absolutely love because of this business and the stories we get out of it. But Josh McDaniels just might be a good play caller. Right. It takes a lot more to, to motivate 53 men and 47 that are up on a Sunday than your time with Bill Belichick or any quarterback that you have developed. And when Carr goes to the presser and says what he said, and everybody felt it right. Like usually we get these weirdos who are like, oh, you make fun of people for crying. No, no, I felt it because that is one of the better dudes from anybody that I have talked to around the league and around him. That is one of the better dudes in the league. He's one of the more earnest guys in the league when the Henry Ruggs situation sure. happened he was he had a moment where you know it's always touchy when you are supporting a person who was involved in an incident like Henry Ruggs was but everybody was like damn this is a dude who's not just peddling that religious shit he's out here actually living it and actually walking in that light and you can respect it whatever grounds you absolutely so so, so, absolutely. so for him to do what he did and say what he said not just with the putting stuff in your body but the the, the tears that flowed because he felt bad you could tell he felt bad that he had to do that in that moment. That means it hasn't been happening the last two or three weeks. Like these things are buildups, especially press conferences after losses. And these things have been happening probably for the last month or so. And guys have been looking around. You know, I talked to Dominique Foxworth, like I mentioned on my podcast, and he talked about the Raven way. When he was a Raven, he said there was no ass slaps and there was no hand claps. You, you don't have to show everybody that you're out here doing bad or, oh, my bad. No, just don't fucking do it. Right. And then we don't have to pat you on the back for doing your damn job. That's how good franchises are run. And also, he said that they would meet and, and there would be nobody telling them to meet. The coaches wouldn't be telling them to meet. The Las Vegas Raiders, when you got guys letting go of the road because they see that their hard work isn't being isn't paying off, that's when coaches have to start stepping on necks, have to start snatching collars. Yep. And for whatever reason, Josh McDaniels can't do that. So the Devontae Adams incident that happened earlier in the year, now you've got this situation with Derek Carr. The last couple of years for this organization has been full of, of very embarrassing or untidy moments. Now you have this. Yeah, Josh McDaniels can say whatever he wants to say, but it seems already that they've lost this thing. I'm mad that that's the biggest mover, though. I'm mad that that's the biggest <laughs> mover because your boy, Sean McVay, 
and the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> I, I see this early this morning. You know, I had my coffee. I came down here to the kitchen, right, as you can see in the background. And I, I, I'm like, all right, let me see what my man AG has to say. And I, I, <laughs> I click the ringer. You know, I go on to, and it's on the front page too. You know, they, they, they got my man shining on the front page. Let's go. And I earn the paycheck. And, and, and uh, yeah, right. And I look at. I'm like, all right, then you know, let, let me go to the 20s to see where this awful ass Rams team landed. And I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm like, oh. Not at the top of the twenties, all right. Maybe in the bottom of the, oh, there they are, mid mid twenties. The twenty third ranked team is the Los Angeles Rams. Last week they were twenty one, a loss to Colt freaking McCoy and Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals dropped them two spots. Explain your fucking self, Austin Gale. This is a completely fair call out. I have to say that first and foremost. Two, like they lost to Colt McCoy and Cliff Kingsbury and the shitty ass Cardinals with John Wolford at quarterback. I mean, they, like, they also were playing their backup quarterback. Like, if Matthew Stafford plays in that game, I think the Rams win. I'm sorry, but the I think bigger reason to drop them further than 23. If you look at some of the teams, you could drop them behind. Like maybe you drop them behind the Jags, the Colts, the Steelers, the Lions. Those are the only few teams left. I mean, I don't know if you you got you got the Bears, the Saints, the Panthers. I don't know. I, I can drop them further if I want. I think the bigger reason is Matthew Stafford's injury, and now you have Cooper Cup on the injury reserve. Object Cooper Cup's objectively the best offensive player. This offense is. One of the worst in the NFL, if not the worst in the NFL. And that doesn't even factor in what it's going to look like now without Cooper Cup. We don't know when Matthew Stafford's coming back healthy. Defensively, they're 19th in EPA per play allowed. Like, this is a bad, bad football team. I think McVay raises the floor. And defensively, you have Aaron Donald, right? Best defensive player in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. There's still some 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 substance here to maybe not put him behind the Lions. Uh, look at him, look at him, look at him shooting himself, bail. Hey, Eduardo, did you hear him? He was he started out on the right track. He's like, oh wait a minute, I'm making this team too shitty. Let me let me let me bring up Aaron Donald. <laughs> let me bring up Jalen Ramsey real quick to suffice the fact that oh. I should have had them rated in the lower twenties. I see you, Ag. I see you. I yeah. see you. <laughs> I, I got one more thing to say about the Raiders and, and that Colts game in general, and, and then then I'll move off. Shout of it. out but to Jeff Saturday are, and anybody who's ever wanted to coach. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the, the last thing I'll say about the Raiders is I never imagined. Mark Davis didn't imagine. Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, no one imagined. Derek Carr did not imagine that this team would be ranked 31st on any power rankings at this point in the season. No one imagined that they'd be 2-7 and seven at this point in the season, but they are. And the reason that they are, in my opinion, is that Mark Davis, again, made a bad decision in replacing a head coach with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. And again, Josh McDaniels is proving what he's proven to us. Like you said, once someone tells you something, make sure you believe him. What he's proving to us, again, is that he's not viable for this role. He's not viable for a head coaching role in the NFL. Vic Tafer and Tashawn Reed are two writers for The Athletic. I want to give them big shout-outs. I've been reading them for a long time as a Raiders mm-hmm. fan. Their reporting on this situation has been fantastic. Vic Tafer slipped this into an article. Players are getting tired of longer meetings, longer practices, and team officials scouring their social medias. He slipped that in. So Josh McDaniels is over there running some ridiculous regime that's making practice longer, making meetings longer. He's got people scouring social medias. Their leading tackler a, a couple of weeks ago retired after that game. I wonder why. I wonder why. Like, like there's reasons that you know, players are, are not bought in, right? And people not buying in is not on the players. It is a reflection of leadership. Yes, yes you can always say that there's going to be bad apples in a locker room and they wouldn't buy in no matter what. Collective buy-in, when you have leaders, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, on this team saying there's not buy-in, that is a reflection of leadership. Obviously a reflection of some of the player leaders on that team, and Adams, a car, but a bigger reflection of the guy who's asking for longer meetings, longer practices, and scouring fucking players' social medias on the side. We've heard all the horror stories about Josh McDaniels. Go listen to the I Am Athlete podcast with Brandon Marshall. Yeah. Brandon Marshall's like, dude, when in that season where Josh McDaniels won his first six games, we were cheating. 
And then they found out we had those tapes, and then we lost a fucking bunch of games. Like, McDaniels is a cheater and doesn't have this locker room. I don't know, man. I, I, I just think, and then the last thing I'll say about the Colts, Jim, Jim Irsay is going to celebrate this win. Jim Irsay is going to celebrate this win and pour it on Jeff Saturday. And Jeff Saturday, in every way, shape, and form, should feel positive about coming out of this with a victory and show that coming in, leading a change, asking for a quarterback change, moving on from you know some Sam Allinger to Matt Ryan. Like he did a lot of things this week, I'm sure, to bring energy, fire, and just overall you know aptitude to a Colts team that was flailing. That does not mean that positive result does not mean this was bad process by Ursay. Calling your friend and giving him a job after having no coaching experience in the college and the NFL is still disrespectful and a disappointment to the arbitrary roadblocks put in front of minority coaches. Still, it's bad process, okay? If you hit on fucking 18 and it's a three and you get 21, that's a good result. It's still bad process. And in my opinion, him bringing a friend to coach his team for the last eight games that has never coached in the NFL before, was just on Get Up at ESPN, is still bad process. And I think disrespectful and a disappointment to minority coaches. Don't let this blind you. Don't let this Saturday win blind you from the fact that this was still, in my opinion, a uh, bad process. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and before I speak on the the, the Indianapolis Colts thing, go back to your, to your Raiders point. Let's take a look at it. All the Bilicek tree guys. Um, you can't run your show the way he runs his show without those results. So if you're not getting those results and you want longer meetings and you want, you know, guys scouring social media and all this other secret service type of activity around a facility that would probably put more tension and pressure on a situation after a loss, then go right ahead. You saw how it worked out for Matt Patricia. You've seen how it works out for Josh McDaniels the second time in a row. Everybody wants to be Bill Belichick that's around Bill Belichick, but they don't have Tom Brady. They don't have the Willie McGinnis. They don't have the Richard Seymours of the world. They don't have the lawyer Malloy's of the world. There's a certain thing that goes along with culture, and it's called talent and leadership as well. They don't have that. So yep. to, to institute that and to have some kind of copy and paste template that you're going to now build a franchise through, yeah, you better get some success first before you start to do that kind of shit. And I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, it's a way to circumvent, and, and the NFL is going to have to really take a look at it now because if you don't think that Jim Irsay tipped off a lot of owners to, to what they need to do going forward to circumvent, circumnavigate these rules of you know the Rooney rule or you know making sure that, that uh, minorities get these token ass interviews, yeah, just go ahead and just go ahead and fire the guy that you want to fire middle of the season. Hire the guy that you truly want, and then put on some bum-ass interview process in the offseason and then hire your interim head coach. So um, I'm not surprised, right, because I don't think Nate Burleson nor Michael Irvin will be able to come and coach their former teams uh, after walking out of the television booth with no prior head coaching experience and on the professional or college level. But it's the NFL way of doing business. The only way you change this thing is when Jay-Z and Diddy and them boys buy the commanders. That's the only way you change this thing. <laughs> it's the only way you change this, Joy. Last thing on the Colts, because I I, I think a lot of Colts fans are going to be upset at my disposition and others' disposition that I'm still in disagreement and disappointed by the process from Jim Irsay. And I think, I don't think any of that disappointment should be reflected in Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday took an opportunity, handed it to him, and made the most of it. It's not the people who take these opportunities that are at fault. It's the people who offer these opportunities without the consideration of 
minority coaches. Like, when you look at what Jim Ursay said when they asked him about the, the Rooney rule, he almost, like, was offended that someone said, asked, hey, did you talk to a minority coach before doing this? He's like, whoa! He said, the pro- there's no problem with perception unless you guys make it a problem with perception. I don't even know what the fuck that means. You got to yeah. do it. I understand I was a broadcast journalism major, too. What? <laughs> I don't understand. Are, are you guys ever held accountable? Do your editors ever bring you in and say you wrote that stuff? It's all wrong. You're fired. We held you accountable. That's for sure. Like, he's like, they were like, hey, is there any chance you talked to a black person before this? He's like, oh, whoa, what's your problem? Well, I was hey, a broadcast hey, hey, journalist. Hey. Like, that's a, that's, that, it just Slow doesn't make down. sense to me, man. It, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't, it really, it really doesn't make sense to me. It, it's disappointing. It's disappointing and it doesn't make sense to me. That's not an indictment of Jeff Saturday. Tip your cap to the success that he had. I still yeah. think you can be upset about the process. You can still be upset about the process. All right. Too high, too low. I've renamed this segment over the last few weeks because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm going to go in order of the top teams in the NFL because I don't know what I'm doing. Number one, number one, we got to talk about this game. It was obviously on last night. Philadelphia Eagles lose in what was insane fashion. Yes. Uh, to the Washington Commanders last night uh, on Monday Night Football. There were multiple bad calls. You had the Dallas Garter fumble where it should have been a face mask. You could argue that the Taylor Heineke flop was a bad call at the end of the game. Regardless, there were some ticky-tacky calls and missed calls. But ultimately what happened was the Washington Commanders found a way to possess the football and force turnovers. The Eagles went into this game with three turnovers on the season. They had three mm-hmm. turnovers in that game alone. That's fluky. That's, reg- you know, that's regressing to the mean in rapid fashion. But still... Eagles lose. I didn't move them from the top spot. I, I still think I have them as the number one team in the NFL. They're 8-1 on the season. Am I wrong to keep them there after losing, obviously, to the Washington Commanders that I think is an 11.5-point favorite at home? Yeah, I'm good on that. You know why? Because that you can write that off as the bad day. And also, there was some moments in that game. I mean, that game changed on two injuries for me. When Josh Sweat gets, gets uh, hit low by Logan Thomas, and all of a sudden they couldn't get off the field on third downs, like Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrove and all those guys that we, we talk about a lot. Josh Sweat is one of the engines that makes that defense go on the other side of Brandon Graham. So when now you can focus a lot of attention on Brandon Graham and make sure that you – close down those two big boys, it's, it's a different defense for the Philadelphia Eagles. And also, A.J. Brown, on an out route, uh, something happened to, where, to his lower extremity. I don't know if it's his left ankle or his right ankle, but after that, A.J. Brown wasn't getting open. He left the game, I believe, for True. a series or two. But after that, he, he was a non-factor, so much so that they had to start going to Devontae Smith. They had to go to Quez Watkins, who eventually had that big catch and fumble down the field. I mean, this Philadelphia Eagles team, they're going to be healthy. Right, and, and I don't think they're going to turn the ball over three times in the second half of a football game at the crib. Um, I, this is one of those games where you write off, and and this I, I think this is a you're going to get mad about the Philadelphia Eagles game, right? Like I think they're going to come out here and start <laughs> yeah. scarring folks because of that. And Nick Sirianni and the offensive play calling, uh, the offensive staff, get a football to the running back. Like Miles saying, I know, yeah. I know you didn't have it a lot. <laughs> I know, I know the, the the commanders did not get off the field on third down, but Miles Sanders, I mean, just give him the football a little bit. You know, Boston Scott, give him the football a little bit. And I'm not just talking about, you know, wheel routes or, you know, angle routes out of the backfield. I'm talking about hand the football off, help your quarterback out a little bit, allow your offensive line to, to form some kind of toughness. I mean, you got you got Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey. They can move people around, right? They're not just athletic dudes. So allow them to pound on people a little bit. I know you had a tough defensive front, two of the best defensive tackles in the game on the same team for the commanders. I just, I, I, I thought there were some moments there where the Eagles could have taken back the game and got kind of got caught up in the wave of the game. So those two injuries, and on top of that, you're going to get everybody's best shot when you're an undefeated team. They got to watch the commanders' best shot. That's the best division in, in the National Football League. We thought it was going to be the AFC West, yep. right? This has been the NFC East throughout. 
the the positive takeaways or the right takeaways, I think, if you are a Commanders fan or a Commanders backer, is that it is obvious. And I know Taylor Heineke was coy after the game when he was like, do you think you'll be the starter moving forward? He's like, that's their decision. It's obvious that this is Heineke's team. Yeah. And they have something in Taylor Heineke, at least maybe not a quarterback of the future, but they at least have something positive, right, right. that they're excited to play for. And Terry McLaurin was, on, uh, was with Scott Van Pelt last night and talked about how he just there's a grit to him. There's a tryhard to him. There's a care to him that this team needs right now. And that, I think, is when you talk about culture and when you talk about buy-in and you talk about effort, it starts there, man. And when you're people are making fun of him for celebrating that first down when he gets hit by Brandon Graham, I love it. Like, dude, celebrate. This guy, this guy knows it. His days are numbered. The NFL stands for not for long, for sure, for Taylor Heineke, a guy who's a backup in the XFL. They know that the rug, he knows the rug could be pulled out from under him at any point this season. Every win, every personal foul he draws is going to be a positive worth celebrating. So I think Taylor Heineke is a positive. Terry McLaurin versus Darius Slay in this game. Get your fucking popcorn. That was incredible. Incredible. And then the few times they put Chauncey Gardner-Johnson on him, he was cooking them too. Terry McLaurin, one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL because he doesn't have the box score statistics. He hasn't had the quarterback to really elevate his statistical production, but man, looked good in this game. And two others I'll shout out for the commanders, corners, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice. It wasn't perfect, but those boys were working. And, and you saw Benjamin St. Juice force a fumble against Quez Watkins. Like, yeah, you can call turnovers fluky and that, that's regression, but man, nah, to go get that play. ball yeah. is, is a big play for Benjamin St. Juice. So I do think the Washington commanders, there's some talent on this team. And Chase yeah. Young isn't even back yet from injury. So I, I, I think that there's a lot of positives. Pull. For the Eagles, you can't turn the ball over three times in a game. You can't. This is not a team built to turn the ball over three times a game. Just like half the teams in the NFL, more, or every team in the NFL. The other thing is, this is the first time at any point this season they've trailed in the second half. This team, and some will point that at Jalen Hurts. Oh, man, like you can't have Jalen Hurts. You don't want him to lean on him and pass the ball. And I think a lot of that criticism is, is valid in some ways, but it's we'll bigger that this team, is built, this team is built to win with a lead. And it has won with a lead in the second halves of games moving forward. I think the Eagles know that, and they're going to be better for it. I think this is, this is a good loss for a team that does not want the undefeated cloud over them as they go into the back ends of the season. I still think the Eagles are fine, and I still have them first in my power rankings. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. I have the Bills at three. It's Eagles, Chiefs, Bills. And... Vikings fans are sending me death threats because I have them ahead of the Minnesota Vikings. I have the Vikings at four. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about these two teams. The Buffalo Bills, specifically Josh Allen, has underwhelmed, right? These red zone interceptions, these costly mistakes, fumbling the snaps exchange in the end zone. Like, there are issues that are all directly tied to Josh Allen being a little bit more clumsy or not careless, but making mistakes with the football, right? Turning the ball over when you don't want him to. And some of those same mistakes that we saw in 2018, he's still an alien. He can still do throws that no other quarterback in the NFL can really do, but he's making mistakes and it's costing them games. They've lost back-to-back games now against the Jets and the Vikings. With the Minnesota Vikings, they're 8-1 on the season, just one as an underdog in Buffalo with a healthy, seemingly healthy Josh Allen. I still don't have them over the Bills. I still don't see what is a middle-of-the-pack offense in terms of efficiency and a middle-of-the-pack defense in terms of efficiency as a deep postseason contender. I think they're talented. I think that They've proven that they can go head-to-head and win a lot of one-score games. They rank just eighth in point differential this season and have won seven consecutive games now by eight points or less. Like, these one-score games are bound for regression, right? Winning one-score games every single week is hard to do. It's why the Raiders last year were like 6-0 and now they're 0-5. Like, losing and winning and losing one-score games often is determined by a bounce going your way or not going away. Or a... Justin Jefferson, absurd catch of the century or a fumbled snap exchange in the end zone. Like, ball has to bounce your way to consistently win one-score games. It's still a skill, and they have confidence because of it. They're dancing with the chains on because of it. But still, 
This Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings team I have at four, Buffalo Bills at three. Your reaction to that? Am I wrong? They just won head-to-head. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still there because the determining factor for me is the quarterback, right? Until Kirk Cousins proves me wrong or proves anyone wrong and makes that trip to the Super Bowl, then I'm going to go with the better quarterback. And it's interesting that you mentioned what you mentioned about Josh Allen, too, because he's been putting the ball up for grabs a lot over the last few weeks. It's just people haven't come down with it. So the more you do that, right, we talk about sacks, right? But really it's about pressures because sacks is the offshoot of pressure. The more, the more, you're, the more often you're in that backfield, the more often you're confusing that quarterback, the more often he's going to go down. This guy has been putting the ball in harm's way for the last three weeks. And the last two weeks, they've actually been able to pick it off. And the, the snap situation, situational football is important. I don't care how much you are out of the gun. At some point, you got you to gotta practice that a little bit more. And you could tell the mesh, the, 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 the snap point, uh, he didn't have his hands together and it, it lost him a game. The Minnesota Vikings thing to me is very, well, first of all, we got to stop with the quarterback cosplay. Um, the, the shit with the chains mm-hmm. is getting out of control, and it, it, at some point, <laughs> you don't like point, the chains. Oh nah, wow, I didn't know this. Nah, I didn't know nah, you didn't nah, like the chains. Nah, because nah, <laughs> they did it to Taylor Haneke on the on the plane as well. At some point, we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to a very uncomfortable place here. You know, like all of a sudden it's all good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, yeah, some asshole. Yeah, yeah some asshole calling uh, the Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk. Duggins, right? Throughout the game, right? Oh, the, man. The, bro- the broadcaster. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm saying let's let's slow down on the fucking cosplay for a little bit. Okay. Like it's gonna get it's gonna get a little uncomfortable out here for the brothers. But Minnesota that's fair. Vikings, I, I, I like the call out. I like the call no, out. No, no, I'm just I'm just, you know, I, I like to it's, it's like my annual Halloween PSA to my white brothers. Like, hey, whatever you do, <laughs> no matter who you're dressing up as, you don't have to paint your face. <laughs> you feel me? Like every single year, <laughs> I, I, get you, I, I get you. October 30th, I tweak that. Just let my white brothers out there know that you ain't got to do that. But the 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 point <laughs> differential that you brought up, that shit is important because at some point you're going to have to, the same way we talk about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, where it's like, ah, oh, what happens? Because there's these games where defense ain't going to show up. You're going to commit a turnover on special teams and you're going to look at your quarterback and go, what you got? At some point, and maybe it's going to happen at the end of the season, maybe, unfortunately, for Vikings fans, it might happen in the playoffs. But at some point, these close games aren't going to go your way so much so that a swing here, a swing there, next thing you know, a fumble happens on a punt return. Now you're down 10 points. What do you do? Do you turn back and say, hey, Kirk, take us home? That's that's the issue that I have. So the, the determining factor for me, I, I thought the Vikings would win the NFC North at the outset of this season. It looks like they're going to do so. It looks like they're going to be either the one or two seed in the NFC right Kirk Cousins until he until he proves to me that in a big game he can be the dude that he has been paid to be I can be skeptical and when he does prove it to me I'll tip my cap but just like Jimmy Garoppolo just like you know Matt Schaub and Andy Dalton before him like there are certain things that when a team is fully formed and ready to take off and your determining factor or unfortunately for certain fan bases your limiting factors your quarterback position uh, I'm just waiting for it to happen so I definitely would have the Bills ahead of the Vikings there were points in that game where ESPN's win probability model gave the Bills like a 98% chance of winning that game they had to have a Dalvin Cook you know breakoff run they had to have Josh Allen fumble that ball. They had to have on fourth and 18, Justin Jefferson come down with a catch that I don't think anyone could even imagine. Like, just imagine that catch. You can't even do it. Like, that has to happen. Now, I will say, to speak positively on the Vikings, because I feel like I'm constantly saying, oh, well, they're not as good as you think they are, Vikings fans. They're not as good as you think they are. Cousins has played better over the last three weeks. I think when you look at these obvious passing situations, he's dropping dimes and he's making plays and he's giving guys a chance. There are also times where you wish 
he was a better quarterback. You wish that he was as good or in that tier of a Mahomes and Allen and these other guys that are winning a lot of games and in the MVP conversation, rightfully so. With the Bills, we just talked about the Eagles and them having three turnovers in a game. And it's hard to win that way. Buffalo Bills are finding out it's hard to win when your quarterback throws a ton of picks. He leads the NFL in picks. He's thrown 10 picks. And when you talk about putting the ball in harm's way, PFF, they also track turnover-worthy plays, which is those same things where you're throwing it to receive, you know, defenders' hands and they're dropping it or fumbling the ball even if your team recovers it. It's still a turnover-worthy play. He leads the league in turnover-worthy plays with 19. And when you look at some of the other quarterbacks that are on this list that are turning the ball over a lot, it's Justin Fields. Guess what? They've lost a lot of fucking games. Jared Goff, they've lost a lot of games. Kyler Murray, Marcus Mariota, Jacoby Brissett. Teams that turn the ball over a lot or put the ball in harm's way a lot Lose a lot of games. The Bills aren't, and, they, and they've had success at the early parts of the season because they weren't turning the ball over. Once the turnovers happen, even if it is just one throw, oh, just that red zone interception, oh, just that fumble from Josh Allen, that's all that matters. Like, you, you turn the ball over two or three times a game, it can flip everything, and it did against the Minnesota Vikings, and that can't happen. If you want to be in the Super Bowl, you're going to have to have the ball bounce your way a handful of times, and that inv involves limiting turnovers. So celebrate, Minnesota Vikings fans, that you are now with the Eagles losing on Monday night in potential play for the number one seed, right? You're obviously, mm -hmm. you don't have the tiebreaker with the Eagles because you lost to the Eagles, but still could have a number one seed, could have the first round bye. For the Bills, they're in a little bit of hot water now. Yeah, they're still a really good football team. Yeah, they're number three on this list, but if you lose out on the first round bye, now the Chiefs are you know slated to have that, that that's a different ball game. Having to win three games to get to the Super Bowl is a lot different than having to win two. And you know you can look at, that's just rolling the dice, right? That's rolling roll the dice three times. It's, it's harder. Um, it's harder to hit the number every single time as it is with, with two times. So I, I do think that the Buffalo Bills are the better football team. They're the better strength. They have, they're the stronger football team. And that's why when you look at betting markets, right, and I think this is the biggest indictment. When you look at the betting markets this week, the Minnesota Vikings, I don't think you've looked at the line. I'm going to guess that. Do you know what the line is? The Vikings are at home against the Dallas Cowboys. W what do you think the line is there? At home against the Cowboys, four and a half. At home. So Vikings favored? Yeah. Cowboys are favored by one and a half. That that is what's showing you like the market, wow. the Vegas, Vegas, which Vegas knows 35% of underdogs have won straight up since 2005. They're not making the Vikings an underdog to lose money. You know, they're not giving you plus 105 for the Vikings to lose money. They view right now, the market views Cowboys is obviously the better football team, even on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings are gonna have to win a lot of tough games. They're gonna have to win games as underdogs, potentially in the postseason to make the Super Bowl, but that doesn't mean they're not 8-1 right now. That doesn't mean they're a top-five team in the NFL. Speaking of the Cowboys, I'm looking forward to talking to, talking to Steven Ruiz about their, their quarterback because there's some interesting things happening, but I'll, I'll, I'll save the Dak Prescott talk for Steven. That sounds good. I, I, we, we, he, wants to talk, he wants to talk a little Kirk, too, and I'm, I'm excited to get his opinion on Kirk Cousins. I want to know what, what, where, where his head's at on Kirk Cousins. What's your game of the week this week? I just teased Cowboys-Vikings. That might be yeah. a big game, right? Cowboys at Vikings. Vikings are one-and-a-half-point dogs at home. The other game that I think has huge playoff determining. I don't even know if that makes sense, but Jets at Patriots. <laughs> pa 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 Patriots are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. If they lose this game, I think that their race to the playoffs almost becomes non-existent. Like, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to map a scenario to make the playoffs if they lose at home to the Jets this week. If they win, the Jets could be in a really tough spot, right? The Jets, the Jets could be in a really tough spot. I wrote in the power rankings this week, the Patriots have the hardest remaining strength of schedule according to ESPN's football power index. The Jets have the easiest. So the Jets against the Patriots this week is one of the tougher games that they'll play. I'm interested to see what ends up happening in this one because I think the Patriots win. It keeps their playoff hopes alive to get a wild card. If the Jets win, I think it all but secures a playoff spot for them and the Patriots on the outside looking in. But what, what is your game of the week? I, I like those two. 
right, so I like Cowboys-Vikings, but in your game of the week, I hope the Jets win because there's no way in hell that I want to fucking watch any Patriots playoff football. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to <laughs> see it unless unless Matthew Judon is running around out there in a skills competition. I don't want to see that. There's nothing interesting about that team to me. There's nothing fun about it. They're a boring squad with no personality, and I, there's, there's nothing there for me. Uh, so hopefully the Jets win. I love watching Sauce Gardner. I love watching that defense play football. I love watching Zach Wilson running around and play flag football in an NFL stage. Uh, but to me, it's Cowboys-Vikings, right? The NFC right now, you're trying to determine what the real NFC is going to look like, right? What, what the Buccaneers still have in them. The commanders are in the hunt. The San Francisco 49ers went out and traded for one of the better players at his position. Now you got Kyle Shanahan with a couple of weeks on, in his bag trying to figure out where to put uh, Christian McCaffrey. So th- this is a very important game, not just for the league, but for the NFC playoff picture. I'm going Vikings. I'm going yeah. Cowboys because you got two quarterbacks, too, who, you know, there's there's still question marks about since Dak has come back. You know, that 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 Packers thing, Dak Prescott did not look good. And I know both teams put up a yeah. lot of points, but he didn't look good doing so. So I'm looking forward to seeing Dak Prescott play against that Minnesota Vikings defense. I'm looking forward to seeing Justin Jefferson go up against Trayvon Diggs and Micah Parsons and that, that Cowboys uh, defense as well. So, uh, yeah, Vikings Cowboys will be it for me. What's interesting is FanDuel is all but guaranteed that the Cowboys make the playoffs. They're yeah. minus 1,400 to make the playoffs. And if they, if uh, to bet them to not make the playoffs is plus 900. So you bet a dollar, you win nine. You bet 10, you win okay. 90. Right, right, right. I don't know if I hate that bet. I don't know if I hate that bet. I know they're favored over Minnesota, but let's say this juggernaut of a team that Minnesota Vikings fans want to be win at home against Dallas. And the Cowboys drop to six and four. And the Packers on Thursday night beat the Titans as a three-point favorite on a short week. Then it starts to get interesting. And then you have the Washington Commanders, obviously, at five and five. Like, this is, I don't know. I don't know if it's all but guaranteed that the Dallas Cowboys make the playoffs. This is a big game this week. Dropping to six and four as the Packers start to sniff around, the Commanders start to sniff around, and the Giants essentially could pull away here with a, with a, their favorite by three over the Lions. I don't know. This is a big, big game for Dallas, man. I, and the playoff odds, in terms of betting them to make the playoffs, don't reflect that at minus 1,400 to plus 900. But, man, I don't know. This is, this is a big game, in my opinion. It is a big game, but I, I think the, the Cowboys are all but assured for that playoff run because three weeks in a row, they've got the cake schedule of the Colts, the Texans, and the Jaguars. So I, fair, I think, fair. yeah, after, after the, the Vikings game, after the tough Giants game that'll happen, you know, uh, what was it the Thanksgiving week? I think the Colts, Texans, Jaguars will be will be kind to the Cowboys. I, I think, I mean, if you if you look at it right now, you can kind of say that there are four teams that are locks to make the NFC playoffs, right? The Philadelphia Eagles, the Minnesota Vikings, the New York Giants. I mean, it sounds weird yep. to say, but seven and two is seven and two. There's only so <laughs> much more losing that you can possibly do outside of some catastrophic, you know, rash of injuries that hits this team. And the Cowboys, right there, right? So, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and San Francisco 49ers, strength of schedule matters. That's why I'm looking at with the Cowboys making it with that three-week slate where they're going to go at worst two and one, at best yep. three and oh. Yeah, I think I think the Cowboys are going to make it just because the NFC is so weird. But then where does that leave the Seattle Seahawks, right? Where, where does that lead the Washington exactly. Commanders? Are the Green Bay Packers going to run the football so much so that Aaron Rodgers is going to be pissed, but they're actually going to win games because of it? Like, there's a lot happening here in that middle tier of the NFC. So there's still stuff to watch, no doubt about it. It would take an absolute collapse, and that is reflected in the betting market, right? Minus 1,400 to plus 900 to miss the playoffs. It would take a, a, an absolute collapse, a loss to Minnesota, and a loss to some of those bad teams moving forward, and a heroic, a Herculean effort 
from the Green Bay Packers to climb back in because they have the Titans on a short week, yeah. which is no fucking slouch. At, yeah, it's at home. Yeah, you know, uh, the Titans have underperformed at times, but Mike Vrabel, Tannehill, Derrick Henry, that's a tough game. Then you got to go to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Then you got the Bears on the road. Call that a win. But then you got that's the Rams at home, one of the worst teams in the NFL. Then you got to go to Miami. Got to go to South Beach to play the Miami Dolphins. Those are potentially two more losses. And they're four and six on the season, right? They're already two games back from the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys. So ca- Packers would have to flip the script to, to make the playoffs and maybe potentially kick the Cowboys out. So that will be a good game. But there's some good games this week. As you get to week 11, week 12, week 13, that's when the good games start to pop up and some real playoff odds happen. Because the, AM- the AFC, the wild card race is not as locked up, right? Like you have... The Dolphins are obviously looking to be a wild card team, but could even win the division, right? What, both the Dolphins and the Bills will make the playoffs. Which one wins the division? Still TBD. We'll see what happens there. But then you obviously have Cincinnati Bengals vying for a playoff spot. They're four and a half point favorites over the Steelers on the road this week. Chargers are looking for a playoff spot. Um, it, it, you got it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big week. I'm excited. I'm excited. But let's bring in the best the best person of this podcast. Ah, eh, third best. We'll call him the third best yeah, person far. on this podcast. And that's only because Carlos isn't with us. <laughs> Exactly. If Carlos was here, he'd be the fourth best. Let's go ahead and bring in Steve Ruiz. He wants to talk a little Kirk Cousins. Jason's going to make him talk some Dak Prescott. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Steve Ruiz joins the show uh, off the mic. Goff was explaining a movie that no one wants to see. And like, I think you might have to flip to the, you might have to get it on the rewatchables. You were making it sound so the good, mask, but we'll, we'll leave yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Shout mask. out to Derek Carr starring in the mask with Cher. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where I want to start is I have Minnesota Vikings fans looking for my address because I have them as the fourth ranked team behind the Buffalo Bills, the team that they just beat on the road. Talk to me about Kirk Cousins and why. There's market hesitancy. The Cowboys are one and a half point favorites over the Vikings on the road this week. There's market hesitancy to back Kirk Cousins and this Minnesota Vikings team. And there's 
anyone that's not a Minnesota Vikings fan, there's hesitancy in backing them as a deep postseason contender because of Kirk Cousins, right? And there's some data to back that in obvious passing situations. He's one of the more inefficient quarterbacks in the NFL. And when you turn on the tape, I know you've been tweeting out some clips today. There's still a lot of concerns with the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. Talk to me. Yeah, and I I would actually say that the reason why I'm skeptical, at least, is, is the opposite of what you're saying. I think that they've been overly reliant on those obvious passing situations. And we saw that to the extreme against Buffalo where the early down stuff, like the run game was working, but the early down passes, which has been a theme throughout the season, was not working. And it really came down to Kirk on, on obvious passing down, just saying, oh, fuck it, Jefferson's down there somewhere. It's like that meme. And he just threw it up and Jefferson would go up and catch it. And I like people are giving credit to uh, Kirk for those throws. They're saying they're dimes. Like he literally threw one while he was cowering in fear and not looking and Jefferson caught the ball. Like calling those dimes, I don't call those dimes. I think they're prayers that were answered. <laughs> it's like it's like posting half-court heaves and being like, look, this guy's a great shooter. He's a great three-point shooter. Look at him make these shots. They're luck. It's also and, like that vi- those viral TikToks where those guys are like throwing a ping-pong ball into like a mini solo cup and they've been recording it for like six hours. And when they hit one, it's like, oh my God, what a dime. It's like, okay, <laughs> do you watch every do you watch every throw of Kirk Cousins? Do you yeah. see every throw that we're going Make an with? offense out of that. Good luck making an offense out of that. <laughs> and that's like, and the thing is, he's not, getting the environmental benefits that he has enjoyed throughout his career. Like the play action numbers aren't there. And that's like the thing with Kirk is he was, he was always a good play action quarterback, but now they're not seeing like cover three at the rate they were seeing because of the offense he's in now. And they're seeing more too high and it's harder to run play action against those coverages. And that was always his cheat code. And the question with Kirk Cousins was what's his plan B? And we're seeing this year, he doesn't really have a plan B. And what it looks like to me, at least, is like Washington Kirk Cousins. You remember when he was in Washington and it was like, oh, he's too reckless. Like he throws a lot of interceptions. And then he kind of got into the play action quarterback type of offense. And that protected him from that. That like hit his weaknesses. But now we're seeing that type of Kirk Cousins again. And I think that's why people are skeptical. And that's why the numbers, even though they're winning, the numbers are way down for Kirk. Like he's usually a top 10 quarterback by EPA. Now he's below league average. Steven, the old guard of NFL quarterback that is getting ready to leave, right? The Aaron Rodgers of the world. You know, we had Ben Roethlisberger retired. Tom Brady's going to play till he's 65 damn years old because he doesn't want to go back to the crib whether somebody's there or not. And those businesses aren't doing too hot. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, that, 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 that TB12 water ain't, ain't moving the way it was. Then you get the, the middle guard where Dak Prescott and these kinds of guys are set in there. I think the, the the Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, young quarterback guard that has kind of passed this middle guard up, I look at Dak Prescott and I'm like, wait a minute. At this point, he was supposed to be ascending, right? He was supposed to be the guy that, that was the, you know, not the, the little cousin, but he was the, the junior, the, the little bro. This dude in that Green Bay Packers game looked as bad as I've seen him look this season. And of course, you had the, the time off where the Cooper Rush was out there, you know, managing, not really scoring points, but managing this offense. What are you seeing from this Cowboys offense and Dak Prescott? And, and what's not clicking right now? Even though they're putting up points, he just doesn't look sharp. Yeah, I think you, you have to look back at the Cooper Rush games and it looked like a different offense to me. It looked like an offense that wasn't asking as much from its quarterback and like the Green Bay game, the two interceptions looked like miscommunications with the receivers. Like he expected the receiver. I think Greg Olson broke it down during the game. He expected the receiver to cross the face of the safety. He ran behind him and it's an interception. It kind of happened on both on both of those plays. And I think that just kind of like 
is emblematic of the problem. They're asking Dak Prescott to do all this processing post-snap because he's able to do it. He's very good at that stuff. But that's hard. And if, if him and the receiver aren't on the same page, you get these ugly plays and you get these mistakes. And I think the Cowboys need to kind of treat Dak Prescott as if he is like a, a Cooper rush and give him an easier offense to operate. Not that he needs to be in that type of offense. I just think that that this collection of talent and this coaching staff, that's what's best for, for them. So scaling it back is, is something that you think yeah. is necessary? Because, I mean, last year they what led the league, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, in points per game, right? Yeah, and, and I thought that they were able to make things easier on Dak earlier in the year. And then as the season went on, it was like more drop back passing. We didn't see as much of like the schematic stuff that they were doing. Like they were putting offensive linemen in the backfield at fullback. They were using unbalanced lines. They were running a lot of play action, a lot of motion. And then you kind of saw them go away from that. And I think they're doing the same thing in season. And I thought they put those protections in for rush and they're not giving them to Dak Prescott because I think and I, it makes sense. Like we're paying this guy a bunch of money. We don't need to run the, the kitty offense for him. We can right. run the, the grown up adult offense for him, but I don't know if they have the talent. I don't know if Kellen Moore is that dude that can consistently provide open throws in that type of offense. Like maybe like an Andy Reed could. I wanted to also bring up Justin Herbert. <clears throat> and I feel like we talk about Justin Herbert every single week because he is a dazzling. I don't know if I've said that word before. Dazzling thrower of the football. There is, Every single week, all 22 angles of Justin Herbert's throws are like, Jesus, that is insane. There's two quarterbacks that could do that. But he's not winning football games. And he's under scrutiny because of it. I think every single week, there's consensus media, consensus fans are, why isn't he winning? Why, you know, they, they could miss the playoffs this year for back-to-back seasons. There's going to be conversation that Tua Tungavailoa was the right choice over Justin Herbert, objectively, if Tua makes the playoffs and Herbert doesn't. Whether that's true or not, whether that's right to have is whatever. But that's going to happen. Tell me why it shouldn't. Tell me why. I think there's two quarterbacks where you have to keep the faith right now. You have to keep the faith on Justin Herbert, even though they're losing games. And you have to keep the faith on Trevor Lawrence. Those are two quarterbacks that are extremely talented that are limited within whether they're injury-plagued offenses or offensive schemes that are not maximizing their talent. I think with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're limited from a talent perspective. Christian Kirk's their top receiver, but probably should be a number two, number three. With the Los Angeles Chargers, Rashawn Slater's out for the season. Mike Williams is missing games. Keenan Allen's missing games. This receiving core is slow, and Joe Lombardi has not proven yet that he can even maximize the, the talent that he has when they're healthy. So I think both those quarterbacks are ones where we got to just like hold the faith that it's going to get better. They're going to build around these guys. Why should we continue to do that, and, and what are the reasons to do so? Uh, for Herbert, I think you just watch the games, and I think if you watch the games, like you're not <laughs> you're not going to come away with this takeaway. And here's here's some like numbers to back that up. Over the last two weeks, this is over the last two weeks, he hasn't had his top two receivers, top two uh, offensive tackles, top two tight ends. He is fourth in PFF grade, six big time throws, two zero turnover worthy plays, two sacks on twenty three pressures. That's an eight percent sack rate on pressure dropbacks, the best in the league. He's averaging five yards per attempt. He's a bottom five passer in passer rating over those two weeks. Like, he is literally playing his ass off, and this is the most he can get out of it is five yards per attempt in a 78 pass rating. That's like that's like Jeff George in 1991 type numbers <laughs> we're talking about. And he's and look at the look what he's doing individually. That's why when you watch the San Francisco tape, every completion that isn't a check down against zone is like the best throw you've ever seen. Like, literally, he just made, like, six throws that were amazing. It's because if he's not doing that, they're not throwing downfield. They're not completing balls downfield. And I, I don't know what else to say. At this point, if you're saying the injuries are an excuse, 
You're basically arguing that supporting cast doesn't matter at all. And that every team that's spending money on receivers and offensive line is it, they're dumb. Like they're wasting their money. He's missing his top two receivers, top two tight ends, and top two offensive tackles. How do you play offense like that? How do you I don't know? I, I don't know what else to say. I think those are bigger excuses for Lombardi. Like, right, the, no, like they are. if you wanted to, if you want, if you wanted to create excuses for Lombardi, who you've been adamant that the play calling in Los Angeles by Lombardi has been atrocious. He's not throwing things downfield. Like, if you wanted to create excuses for him, it's because he doesn't have speed and he doesn't have his top guys who actually call downfield passes. And I think that that is more legitimate than making those saying those are excuses for Herbert. Whereas you turn on the, I think you need a shirt or a hat that just says watch the games. Because I think there's a lot of times where you come on these podcasts as the as a film guy, as a guy who's a part of film Twitter or whatever, that leverages numbers in an audio content format to help explain and help evidence. But what's always going to be better is turning on the tape. You turn on the tape, you watch the games, you see that Justin Herbert's a better quarterback. If you look at wins or some of these other box score statistics, you may be leaning to a or whatever it may be. Any closing thoughts here, Goff, Ruiz? Can I make one more point on the Chargers? I know we are saying all this stuff about them and how they're like Herbert's not winning games. They're five and four. They have a winning record despite all of these injuries. Like, and we didn't have even talked about the defensive injuries. They have the 17th best dropback EP by EPA, dropback passing game by EPA. That's like league average. They are league average with a five and four record despite all of those injuries and all, everything they're missing. I don't know how this reflects poorly on, on Justin Herbert. I honestly don't know how it reflects poorly on Brandon Staley, but that's what it is. I don't, I don't know. I just want to point out that he said that Justin Herbert is literally playing his ass off. And that just sounds painful, to be honest with you. <laughs> at, some, at some point, if I'm playing a, a brand of football that my ass falls off, then you, you sign me out. Uh, before we go, Stephen Ruiz, if you had to re-rank the 2021 draft class at quarterback, top three. Oh, my God. Just putting this man on the spot. Let's go. Three. Let's hear it. How would this go? It's the same The same. I know order I had from <laughs> twenty uh, from that year. What was it? Twenty twenty one. I've I've already forgotten. Lawrence Fields Lance. Ooh, and I know, like I I look like an idiot for the field stuff because I I canceled him or whatever. I mean, I the scouting report was never that he was going to be Michael Vick. Right. Like he, his biggest touters were like, oh, he's accurate. He's smart. He's a pocket quarterback. And he is none of those things. Like that's that's why I'm hesitant to be like, oh yeah, he's really good now because the, you watch the film and like there is no semblance of a dropback passing game, and he completed like two passes in rhythm from the pocket all game long. Fields was like widely considered the number two quarterback in that class, number two and number three. A lot mm-hmm. of people like Zach Wilson because he was a accurate downfield passer in the Ohio State offense pocket passer. He has remade himself as a different player. Now now, now running the football rampant and, and having a lot of success obviously running football is things that you didn't see right. both in design fashion or even in scrambling fashion at Ohio State. Maybe because the offensive line is better, there's more open receivers, whatever it may be. But still, he is, he is dominating as a new version of Justin Fields and, and breaking records in the process. Ruiz, Goff, Always fantastic to get on the mic with you guys. I really enjoy it. I get smarter every single week. Make sure you tune into the rest of the feed on Wednesdays on the Ringer NFL Show feed. The Island with Noah Princiati on Wednesdays. And then on Thursdays, the Scramble with Shield Capadia. And then on the Ringer Preview Show, my guys, Danny Heifetz, Ben Solak, and this guy named Steve Ruiz come back on the show. Make sure you listen to the rest of the shows. Shout out to our producers, Connor Evans, Arjuna Rambaball, and Carlos Chirubolga. Until next time, Goff, Ruiz, Gale, the Power Ranker Show.